Hi, I'm Chris. Hey, everybody. I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Your favorite horror podcaster is tossing a little bit more glitter on our discussion. Uh, we hope everyone's new year is off to a fantastic start. And we hope that you guys enjoyed this special holiday episode with the boys from Cocktail Party Massacre. But here in the new year, we're back to our top 10 episodes. And this month, we're going to be going over our top 10 favorite horror scores. That's right. Uh, before we get started in that, though, guys, we want to remind you that we have a whole bunch of bonus content available on our Patreon, uh, covering things like sequel ideas to the movies that we've talked about. We have some scene discussions discussions um we also talk about our brightest flame awards right where we give those out to different aspects of horror filmmaking like acting directing makeup effects and so on uh so go check that out you can get all that bonus content for as little as two dollars yeah and of course check out uh our counterpart on our patreon to this episode which is our brightest flame award for best horror composer that's right. We released that in December. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty good. Y'all go give it a listen. Yeah. Before we get started, I need to tell everybody that I have a little touch of a head cold today, and um, we just uh, didn't want to reschedule our recording, so I don't always sound like a mouth-breathing idiot. It's just what I'm giving you today. Well, I'm sure half our listeners are experiencing the same thing right now, since basically half the people I know are experiencing the same thing. That's right. I mean, my voice may sound a little deeper and sexier than usual, but in actuality, I'm a festering pool of illness. (laughs) 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 I got to keep it real, guys. Nothing sexy about me today. So I apologize in advance if, uh, if if you can't understand what I'm saying or something or if I sniffle too loudly into the microphone. And I promise that come February, it'll be cleared up. That may have been much longer of an explanation than anyone needed, but I'm just still talking. (laughs) (laughs) Also, before we get started, let's preface that um, a lot of things in horror movies, especially with horror movie fans, are, you know, people have very strong opinions about them. And in fact, these are our opinions, too. We know that, you know someone's favorite score may not be on our list and and please tell us what you like and what you don't like you know or what you think of our lists um just keep in mind before we start doing this that this is really something that we've chosen yeah and i tried to uh of course i try and take these lists fairly seriously more seriously than i probably should so i'm trying to include some uh scores that may not be my absolute favorites but had an effect on film scores, you know, from there on out, they were they're highly regarded within the community of film scoring and had a, a big impact on movie scores that came out afterwards. So I'm trying to include a little bit of that as well, of course, as my favorites. And Chris is a huge film score buff, so he knows what he's talking about. And I can't wait to hear what's on your list. Uh, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? After you. Okay. Uh, my number ten is Wolf Creek from 2005, uh, composed by Francois Tetaz. Never seen it. <laughs> Wolf Creek is a really good movie. I like it. It's um, it's kind of up there in the torture porn area, though. Uh-oh. So essentially, these backpackers in Australia are like 
hunted, tortured, and killed by this like sadistic man who lives in the outback. Right. Um, the score itself is fantastic. Um, he really tried to make some experimental sounds. He used like wires and things, hmm. almost like telephone wires, to sort of capture the the silence and eeriness of the Australian outback. And he mixed it in with the music. And um, even though it sounds experimental in places, it also has a whole bunch of classical cues. There's lots of good strings. It's very orchestral. Um, the music itself is incredibly beautiful for such a, a gruesome movie. Um, I, I listen to this a lot because the music music doesn't always strike me so much in movies when I watch them. Um, and when it does, I know that it's you know something special and I listen to it frequently. Um, so you know my list is fairly short. However, I go back to this one from time to time and listen. Um, it almost didn't make my top 10 because there was another score I liked a lot more, but I chose to slice that one off and stick in Wolf Creek because it needed to be talked about. Sure. Uh, my number 10 is Hellraiser, 1987's Hellraiser by Ooh. Christopher Young. And Christopher Young is no slouch. He's done a shit ton of horror movies. Uh, he may or may not have been a runner-up on our uh, Best Composer episode on Patreon. The waltz for Hellraiser is, uh, I mean, the rest of the score is amazing anyway, but the waltz and everything is, is iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done in, the score for, for all of that was done in such a kind of a romantic way, which I would say was not, is, is certainly still not the norm for a horror film. I completely agree. I know that that movie too has some fairly gruesome moments in it and a lot of disturbing visuals and the mu- the music itself sounds hauntingly beautiful and in comparison to some of the things that you're seeing on the screen like someone being flayed alive and whatnot it's just not the kind of music that you expect to hear in the background and the waltz itself is happening while this character is basically being pulled together from nothing you know uh-huh. like kind of reverse gore in a way into more of like a humanoid like working body and it's like so disgusting and yet kind of beautiful in its own way and the score is of course it's a waltz so it's almost operatic in a way in the way it's uh it's filmed and done and uh as like this crescendo at the end where it's like we've done it (laughs) (laughs) that should be your first dance at your wedding yeah (laughs) uh it's a good choice My number nine is Krampus from 2015 by Douglas Pipes. something that we have talked about recently on this podcast as we covered Krampus in December and I think that we talked about the score 
Um, a pretty sizable amount during that conversation. Uh, I like this a lot. Again, like I said, I don't always recognize. I don't always, you know, love the music or notice the music when I'm watching movies, but this is another one that when I saw it in the theater, it struck me right away. And you can always tell if it's a score that I'm going to like, because if there's a choir or some vocals going on in the background, I'm going to love it. And he just took all these different Christmas carols and sort of made this like fractured Christmas carol score and changed the words to Carol of the Bells to make it fit a horror movie. And it's just, I mean, a fantastic piece of work. Well, I would I would have said right off the bat that my favorite score of his is Trick or Treat. Because it's just, it's such a good score for like Halloween and everything. And it's just, to me, it's iconic. Uh, Krampus, for me, at least the first viewing, was less so because it just takes riffs from Christmas and kind of just kind of twists them a little bit and makes them darker, but that's not all he did. If you look past the surface of that, there's a lot of call-outs and homages to other horror films that he actually worked into the score, including Alien um, and several others. Uh, there's there's just a lot of gold to mine in this score, and so I, I feel like anyone that's that noticed the score at all should actually try and listen to the score by itself for Krampus because there's just a lot there that it's just uh, there's a lot to love. There really is. I just, I mean, my favorite parts of it are just like the more fun, you know, silly parts, I suppose. But I mean, it's something that I listen to um, fairly regularly, not just at Christmas time, but I like that score quite a bit. My number nine is It Follows from 2014. score was done by Disaster Piece, so it's not really a traditional score. It's very poppy, techno-electronic, but there's several tracks that are just so epic, and there's a lot of people that actually came out of the theater and or even complained about the score, thinking that it just didn't seem to fit, or they just didn't get it, or it was just wasn't traditional enough. And those are the same people that hated the movie. I was going to say, who said that? Because those people are stupid. Yeah, those people, <laughs> I, I actually have no use for those people. And honestly, this is just straight out of the gate a classic score. Now, yeah. Disaster Pieces score for It Follows... And there's several different cues that are just amazing uh, in this. There's the main theme, and of course, there's like the, the it follows kind of theme where, you know, it creates a lot of tension uh, when there might not necessarily be that level of tension on the screen. Um, but there's a, a big music cue so that you can kind of know the foreshadowing. And it's kind of, uh, it's that kind of runs counter to some of the other scores that we have later on our list that are literally trying to. Uh, give you cues and themes for what's on the screen at that moment versus what it follows does is really kind of set up the monster of the movie set up the tension for a scene that might follow that one so it's uh it's a really interesting score and it's quite epic so i would definitely check it out if you haven't heard it i mean i agree i i we chris and i saw this movie together i think he had already seen it like maybe once or twice by the time he watched it with me in the theater but i mean 
the score is great. It sounds different than what you normally expect from a horror movie, and it's almost kind of like a, a throwback to like '80s horror scores, where everything was very synthesized, right? But it takes it into another direction and does its own thing, and that's an excellent choice. Uh, number eight for me is from the movie Martin from 1978. I haven't uh, seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, composed by Donald Rubenstein. Martin's a George A. Romero movie. Um, it's about a guy who thinks that he's like an 84-year-old vampire, and so he goes around drugging women, cutting them open with a razor, and drinking their blood. My goodness. Yeah. It's a family film. The music itself, like, there's only certain parts of the score that I like a lot, which is why it's not any, you know, higher on my list. Um, some of it gets real jazzy in the middle, and that's just not something that I care for half Still, the time. Still, that sounds unique. I mean, it's unique, but, I mean, Rosemary's Baby did it beforehand, and it was a whole bunch of jazz in that score, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's just part of the, the time. Um, what I like from this um, movie, really, is the main theme. It's called The Calling, and um, it has an amazing vocal to it, and it just, I mean, it sounds beautiful and... Um, different scary almost right and it just really sets the scene for a really bizarre film but a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to listen to go watch it my number eight is interview with a vampire from 1994 composed by elliot goldenthal yet to see a movie before or since this that has such a specific atmosphere and feeling to it. It's so heavy you could cut it with a knife. And a big part of that is the score. And Elliot Goldenthal's No Slouch, and he's done quite a few like masterpiece scores from Titus to Frida, which of course are just like his his scores are basically like tightly woven tapestries. They're so thick with different instruments and complexity and everything and this is such a haunting beautiful complex score and so many different themes within it that are just classic and there's a lot going on here to not just kind of portray uh, the mood and the atmosphere but also and of course what's happening on the screen but also the time because this is a period movie which goes actually through several different moments of history and the music has to reflect that and it does so incredibly beautifully and um, I feel like it's a crime that it hasn't gotten as much of a following as it deserves I feel like it's a very under and and people that know it uh, of course they they rate it highly and view it highly but I feel like uh, from the wider you know more critical circles this this uh, film score is 
extremely underrated. I had this, um, I had that soundtrack on CD when I was in high school, actually. So, um, mostly because there was one track on it, um, with some sort of boys choir singing. I can't remember the name of the track. It was, I mean, it's good. I liked it. I listened to that track a lot. I think it's probably one of the only songs I listened to on that CD over and over again. But it's a... An excellent movie that I haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, my number seven is the score from the movie Gremlins from 1984, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Again, I like I like the score a lot, and I mean, if you're noticing a theme through some of mine, is that they're all kind of like they can sound silly in places, and I think that this one, especially the Gremlin Rag, just has a really silly comedic atmosphere to it, right? Or yeah. sound, but it also shows how much uh, you know breadth and width Jerry Goldsmith has uh, to his scores because he's done. The Omen, which he won an Oscar for, for um, Best Song. And he, of course, he did Poltergeist. And uh, he's done a lot. And, uh, of course, he may uh, show up on our, our Best Horror Composer. But Gremlins is definitely one of his more unique, playful scores. Yeah, and I agree. And that's why I like it so much. I thought about putting Poltergeist or something on there. But I really, really love Gremlins. I think that it sounds like a lot of fun. And, I mean, he he does a good job of reminding people that this isn't just a horror movie, it's also a comedy. And I like how the score makes some really strange noises, like, as far as, like, the gremlins are concerned, like, the gremlin cues, where it's always like, and things like that. It's just, it's fun to listen to. Um, and I know that they just released, like, a deluxe edition a couple years ago that has all these extra tracks on it, so it's, there's a whole bunch more to listen to, like, that didn't even make it into the movie. My number seven is also by Jerry Goldsmith, and of course that's Poltergeist, <laughs> that I just mentioned, from This is such an iconic score. It's like uh, just like this. There's a sweetness and a sadness to it. And there's also a lot of, uh, you know, kind of haunting, scary kind of stuff in the score. And he did a lot of different cool like there's like frequencies used in this. There's just like the, you know, the typical kind of spooky, you know, tension building uh, stuff. But the, but really some of the most effective stuff is the more tragic kind of music within it. And it's just so beautifully woven, just effortlessly throughout the film, that it's just such such a beautiful score to listen to front to back without even watching the film. Yeah, I really wouldn't use beautiful to describe Gremlins, 
but I would use beautiful to describe poltergeist. Like it's yeah. it's great. Yeah, there's a sweetness to it, and there's uh, there's of course they ha- he has to put through that kind of familial vibe, and a big part of the Spielbergian kind of uh, method here is to try and get you like attached to those characters before the horror starts. And so a good like half hour of the first movie is trying to get you kind of attached to those characters, and of course he has to create kind of a a family sweet, you know, American dream kind of score, and he does so beautifully, and then it kind of twists into this horror score, which is just. Yet again, he just pulls it off masterfully. Uh, my number six movie is Don't Be Afraid of the Dark from 2010. It's composed by Marco Beltrami. those of you who haven't seen this movie it's about um, a little girl who goes to live with her father in this mansion and there's a whole bunch of little creatures who want to kill her and eat her teeth so um the score itself is amazing he is one of my new favorite composers he's done quite a bit of horror work he He did scream right he did scream and he did the score for world war z which is like one of the only good things about that movie and he has now been nominated for a Golden Globe for A Quiet Place. But out of all his scores, this is my favorite. Um, it really matches the movie itself. Um, it's really gothic in places, so it matches the scenery quite well. Um, you can almost hear like little whispers and things like from the monsters, just musically. And it gets really pounding in places. So it's like the horror score that you expect to see from something that has you know actual monsters in it. Hmm. My number six is Aliens from 1986 by James Horner. Now, this is not the original Alien that Jerry Goldsmith composed, but he took some of those themes that Jerry Goldsmith did, which essentially was a score for a haunted house in space, or like The Shining in space. And it had to be very slow and methodical with some jumps every once in a while in excitement. But James Horner had to basically take that and make an action score out of it. So you've got these horse, the the themes and like the slow build and the spooky vibe that Alien kind of did. Um, but he builds on that to create these action sequences that have been used in trailer after trailer and movie after movie ever since. So they're so iconic. Like Ripley's Rescue is one of those. Another one is like Bishop's Countdown which that's the one that's been used in trailers over and over and over again. (laughs) 
and even the ending scene um after that countdown and everything after like the the main alien or whatever is uh finally defeated that cue is actually used at the end of die hard and that's was it really yeah they were they used it as a uh temp track and they ended up just using it because they loved it so much so this score has been everywhere and i don't feel like a lot of people know that and I feel like it's kind of underappreciated, especially compared to Ridley Scott's original Alien, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. And James Horner needs the credit for this. And there's just, it's such an iconic action score, and there's a lot of horror in it. And that's why it's on my top 10, and that's why it's so high on my top 10. I don't remember a lot of the music from that movie. I remember it sounding a little like militaristic a little bit, sort of like a John Philip Sousa in space. So maybe I need to go and like re-listen. But I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of percussion. Yeah. Uh, and there is the military esque because, of course, military is a big part of the, of movie. the movie. Yeah. Um, but this it's one of those things like Jerry Goldsmith had to had to do Chinatown in like two weeks because they fired the previous composer. <laughs> yeah. There's something uh, of a similar situation with James Horner here. He had to do this in three weeks with equipment that he did not want to use because it was so. Uh, outdated. He didn't get to use the electronic stuff. So he had to come up with the score and he was doing this like 15 hours a day under James Cameron and James Horner had to do this in like three days before the movie like came out or or something. (laughs) And they ended up with such iconic cues and he was nominated for an Academy Award for it. Really? I didn't know that. My number five is The Witches of Eastwick from 1987 composed by John Williams. This is a little bit more of a horror-adjacent film. I mean, it's a, a dark comedy of sorts, but, I mean, when Jack Nicholson is playing the devil, it's uh, definitely got to be considered part of horror canon. Sure. So, um, And John Williams is, I mean, no stranger to anybody who watches movies. I think the man even thinks about creating a film score, and they've already nominated for an Oscar, and he was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. The music itself is super playful and jaunty, and um, the end credits is my one of my favorite pieces of music that John Williams has ever written. Um, it's incredibly percussive. He uses different per- percussion instruments that you wouldn't hear anywhere, probably. I mean, he goes from like you know different kinds of drums to the fucking glockenspiel or something, you know. But uh, it's an amazing piece of music. I went to go see the Fort Worth Symphony play um, a couple years ago. They were doing a like music from the movies and you know I didn't know what was going to be played going into it and they played this in the middle he just like oh now we play the witches of Eastwick and like tears were streaming down my face I was enjoying it so much it's just a fantastic score from start to finish and I'm not usually the biggest John Williams fan and I just I really really love this one I'm a huge John Williams fan I know you are and, you know, he's done everything from, you know, Indiana Jones to Star Wars to Schindler's List. I mean, these are amazing scores. I know. You know, he's just always there, right? My number five is, of course, Alien by Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Aliens, my number five. I had to give it, you know, because he did it first. And it's such a beautiful sweeping score in parts, uh, especially that end credit sequence, which he originally intended as the main title sequence. But Ridley Scott wanted something more slower and methodical and creepy. And so they kind of swapped. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole mess uh, of extra tracks to the score that didn't actually keep it. So you can actually buy like a 30 or 40 track uh album for alien now by jerry goldsmith and i've listened to all of it and there's so many extra cues and such such amazing work some of the best scoring ever for any kind of sci-fi horror or sci-fi or horror and you know in general and that's why it's in my top five agreed i do like that score a lot it adds it adds to the movie the movie itself scares the hell out of me every time that i watch it well the movie is a, a masterclass in suspense and suspense horror well, and a really good score adds to that, which we've already discussed, right, with things like It Follows. And I think that the score to Alien really adds a lot to what you're watching on the screen. Yeah, and we've seen what Ridley Scott can do without Jerry Goldsmith, and I find it lacking. <laughs> you owe him a debt of gratitude, sir. <laughs> Uh, my number four is Nightbreed from 1990. It's composed by Danny Elfman. Again, I'm not usually a huge fan of Danny Elfman scores, but I really like this one quite a bit. It's uh, very tribal. It's very earthy. It's very fun, like, you know, a Danny Elfman score would be. Um, it goes from all these different, like, pounding beats to, you know, some things that he's more known for. Things like la-la-la-las in the background, right? And the movie itself is about a whole bunch of, like, you know, monsters that live underground and a guy going to join them. And, uh... Haven't seen it. It's, I mean, I like it, but, I mean, a lot of people don't. Um, but the score is really great. I listen to this one a lot. I have, you know, just a handful of scores that I keep on a playlist that I listen to, and it's, like, the number one thing that I put on sometimes. Yeah, I really want to listen to this, because if he's on your top ten, it, you know, I... I can't believe like there's a lot of these on your list that I actually never listened to. And I'm a huge fan of D- Danny Elfman. I feel like his scores for, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and Beetlejuice, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all of those are just like iconic and amazing. Um, it's just to me that sometimes Danny Elfman scores all sound the same. I can always just like John Williams um, and sometimes Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and all of these greats. You can, I can tell they have a fingerprint. Um, to their music and uh, you know some of the newer ones too like Michael Giacchino is a perfect example of that I can almost always tell a Michael Giacchino score with exception of some of his Pixar scores mm-hmm. uh, he did the score for App too right yeah, yeah. I like that it makes me cry oh, yeah it's one of his best he won an Academy Award for it so my number four is Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992 composed by Wojciech Kilar.
So this is an amazing score. Like the 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 intro, the hunter's prelude, Mina's photo. There's so many tracks that are incredibly effective in this film, and obviously um, this film is filled with atmosphere and a very specific tone and look and feel that was all done by Francis Ford Coppola. So we've got kind of the the more actiony kind of tension building score. We've got the haunting kind of single woman's voice kind of almost operatic part and we've got kind of a war theme build at the beginning and we've got a track that almost reminds me of goblin suspiria with all of like the voices in the background kind of like the witches the witch vampires kind of cackling in the background and um there's a lot of this there's just so much in this score that is so different and each track is just done so masterfully it's uh it's almost a crime that which Aquilar has not done more um besides i think like ninth gate and that's all i can think of like he's so iconic and the score is so amazing uh and it deserves to be on every top 10 everywhere for film score and let alone horror score it's just that good i need to give it a listen because i know that you you've We've talked. You've talked to me about this score multiple times, and I mean, I just—I know he's going to come across the table, but I've only seen Bram Stoker's Dracula the one time in the theater when it came out. That's that fine. Was forever yeah, ago. that's a yeah. long time ago. Right. And there's just—it's—it's—it's it's amazing how they made the film, and we'll go into this later. I believe we're going to be covering this at some point. Oh sure. But it's one of my favorite horror films, just from the way it was technically made. Uh, everything had to be done in camera. Everything had to be done the way it could have been done in 1900. Mm-hmm. Um, and Francis Ford Coppola fired people, uh, you know, so that they would do it that way. And sometimes it was more expensive to do it that way. And uh, the score is such an old style. Um, and that, and that's probably why he hired Wojciech Kilar is because he's kind of from that area, you know, of where the film is essentially taking place. And it's very authentic sounding music for this type of film. Uh, Speaking of favorite horror movies, though, uh, my number three choice is definitely from one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's in my top five for sure. And that is The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. And it was composed by Howard Shore. Most people would, I think, know Howard Shore from like some of the bigger things he's done more recently, like The Lord of the Rings. I didn't know he did Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he did all the Lord of the Rings, yeah. Um, I love, love, love this score. Um, it's kind of like slow moving, and to me it sounds like, it sounds cyclical, like it's always moving. It's like constantly moving in, in what seems like a circle. From the very opening scenes where Clarice is running through the woods on that track, right, at, you know, the academy. Sure. Um, it's just like constant strings and it pushes the movie along like every step of the way. There's fantastic visuals of things like, you know, a river, you know, sweeping through, I don't, 
landscape and the music just matches it so so well and it really builds tension between characters in this movie and that's what this movie is is about the, the relationship between Clarice and Hannibal Lecter and her finding herself as an FBI agent and the music just helps so so much to me it's beautiful it's haunting and just I mean amazing I am floored every time I watch this movie and, you know, you realize all the Academy Awards that it got and he wasn't even nominated for an Academy Award for the score. No, the music really, really supports this film. And I I feel like a lot of the tension and atmosphere are owed to the composer. And for you're going to hear us say beautiful and haunting and tension and, you know, all of these things for all of these films over and over and over again. But... They say that a film is made three times, right? When it's written, when it's you know basically being shot, and then when it's edited. I would argue a fourth time, and maybe even most important in some cases, which is the score. The film, like, what would any of these films be without these iconic scores? Mm-hmm. So, no, I completely agree. And I, I mean, yes, the acting in this movie is phenomenal, and yes, the directing is phenomenal. But I think that if it had a, a different score in place, that this particular one weren't written for it, it it could have changed the movie entirely. Oh, sure. And you have these moments that could be over the top or cheesy or, you know, the audience isn't isn't as invested to believe it if the score hadn't been there to kind of to force that buy-in beforehand. Yeah, that's exactly right. It takes some of the -the over-the-top performances and it really grounds them. It makes the movie seem real. Yeah. My number three is Jaws by John Williams. Now, this score is neither beautiful nor haunting, but it's... <laughs> Take that, John Williams. But And it's really not as playful as his other... You know, it doesn't have that John Williams quality to it as far as... I mean, the quality's there, but it doesn't have his fingerprint on it as much as, like, Star Wars Indian Jones or, you know, some of these others do. And it's... It's a very simplistic score. And for how simplistic it is, it's incredibly effective. And it's not just the moments with Jaws that everyone knows. The da-da-da-da. You know, there's a lot more to that. There's horns in there. There's there's a lot more going on. And there's the quiet moments with the family and on the shore and on the boat that are done so well and kind of subtly by uh, John Williams, which is not really his wheel. Subtle yeah, I was going to say. Generally his wheelhouse. You hardly ever hear a sentence with John Williams and subtle in the same you know breath. But you hear that and you instantly know it's the cue of horror. You hear that motif for Jaws and you know death is coming. And very, very few themes and uh, scores can have that kind of visceral reaction besides the ones that are coming up on this list. 
Well, and I think, I mean, there's, there's a good mark of what you would consider to be, you know, a great all-time horror score. And if it has entered popular culture in such a way that people who have never seen the movie know exactly what Jaws sounds like, you know, I mean, like he did his job and it's... In spades. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly It's a right. lasting impression. Yes. Yeah, it's better. My number two is uh, Candyman from 1992 by Philip Glass. Have you seen Candyman? Parts of it. Okay. All right. I'll and I love that. Philip Glass. Philip Glass is amazing. Yes. Uh, I... One of my favorite tracks ever is done by uh, Philip Glass that's been used in, uh, to spectacular effect in multiple. It was used in Watchmen. I feel like some of his stuff is used in The Truman Show. Of course, he did, did the score for, I think, the new Fantastic Four movie, but, you know, F that movie. Well, his score for Candyman is just phenomenal. It's it's very simple. It's uh, very, like, you know, piano-heavy in places, which a lot of Philip Glass tends to be, I think, oh, Of course, because he's a yeah. pianist at heart. But if it's anything like, like Pruitt to Go and Prophecy or whatever, which is one of his best tracks ever, then I'm I'm all for any of his scores. It's just, I mean, like, it's such, it's such a very simple score. But it like it's actually kind of creepy sounding, so I think it works as a horror movie a lot. Um, if you compare it to maybe like his work from The Hours, which is another score by his I like a oh, lot. Love that score. It, but it's this is totally different. It's like like a really really toned down score, very very basic, but very, very effective, simplistic. and it like it really sticks with you as you're so watching the like movie. So it's like Philip Glass's version of like a John Carpenter score. <laughs> it's Philip Glass's version of a John Williams. Jaws, you know what I mean? So it's like just basic cues and things like that. See, I've tried to... One interesting thing about this is I've tried to actually find this score, and it's almost impossible to find. I don't even think that you can purchase it anymore. It's certainly not on any streaming... Yeah, I tried to find it on YouTube, and I just... There is a YouTube video that has, like, the entire score to it. So it's, like, an hour-long video that you oh. can listen to. Because I, I also... Some scores that didn't make the list, I just wanted to go back and listen to while I was, you know, preparing it. Things like Videodrome, right? You can't listen to that anywhere either, so... but Well, if I manage to edit in the uh, score for this, you're welcome. <laughs> Hold on to it. Um, and if you haven't seen Candyman in a long time, go watch it and listen to the score. It's really super effective. Um, and we talk about ground, grounding a film. Um, this one is, it's always there in the background. It doesn't detract from the movie. Um, it certainly adds to it. And they're going to be remaking this movie very soon. And I mean, we just need to hold on to this original music for just a little bit until we get the new one. Well, Philip's, Philip Glass is still around and he's still doing scores. So That's maybe right. he'll come back. Hopefully they'll be keep it because it works. My number two <laughs> is 1958's Vertigo by Bernard Herrmann.
reason why I'm adding this here, and this is not something that I've listened to a lot, it is it's such a romantic, sweeping score that just, it's so cyclical, and it's such like its namesake, and it does create a sense of vertigo. It does kind of have a confusing quality to the score, but it's so smooth in how it does it. You're one one side of it. You're you're in this uh, sweeping romantic kind of epic score, and then you're going into more of a horror thriller aspect of it, and it's just cyclical in how it does that, and it kind of leaves you with an unease, and it's a very specific feeling that the score leaves you with, but the fact that it actually does give you that feeling of the vertigo or the confusion, the uneasiness, really just a feeling of mystery palpable mystery in the score it's just amazing that he was able to compose that uh it's it's amazing to listen to it's so beautiful it's such a modern sounding score for 1958 um i just i adore it it's true i was just sitting here trying to think about pieces of music from that score i i obviously remember like the opening sequence and I think that there's something, there is a track that's even, it has the word romance or something in it. And it's like, it's really, I think it's really famous, actually. Yeah, I think the first track is like Vertigo and the Rooftops or something. I mean, I love Vertigo. I haven't seen it in a very long time. But Alfred Hitchcock's films don't always have scores that I remember, right? But this is one that really works for his, this movie. Sure. And Bernard Herrmann is, of course, he started off his career with a bang with like Citizen Kane, you know, and he's done all kinds of Alfred Hitchcock. And, and, and horror besides and, Alfred Hitchcock, oh, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. he is no slouch. Um, but speaking of Bernard Herrmann, if, I mean, unless you have anything else to say about Vertigo, I'll go straight into my number one, which is Psycho, which well, he wrote. That's also my number one. <laughs> so both of our number one is Psycho by Bernard Herrmann. There's just no other film like we've gone over Jaws where it has that motif of terror where you instantly know what's happening on the screen. Vertigo has that feeling that it instantly instigates that it needs for the atmosphere for the film. But there's nothing quite like Psycho that has that moment of uh, action within the score that is actually happening on screen. Right. And, uh, and we are talking about the shower sequence at this point, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone knows what that is. Again, even if they haven't seen Psycho, they know. You just say the word Psycho and they start making the knife motion going, <laughs> so I mean, everyone knows exactly what that sounds like, whether they've seen the movie or not. It's such a classic, but it's also in a way kind of sad that that's what people know from the score, because if you listen to the Psycho Overture, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. I completely agree. Besides Vertigo. (laughs) I mean, I think it's better than Vertigo. I don't know. The opening credits to Psycho, with all those strings playing in that really, like, staccato fashion, is 
amazing. I mean, that when you think about like what horror movies should sound like, right? Your expectation of a horror score, that's what I think of, you know? Sure. And I think that he he did that. He made this to where I mean like a, it sounds like a horror movie, but B, it also sounds crazy. It sets up everything in this movie. Yeah. And the shower scene's good too, you know, for as iconic as it is. But I mean if you if you've seen Psycho and you don't remember the music, just go listen to it from start to finish. It doesn't take long to finish the entire score, and it's just an amazing piece of American music. Conversely, watch the film, watch the shower scene, but put it on mute. See how it plays without the music. It's very, very interesting to watch it without music because it is incredibly ineffectual. Have you seen that documentary that's all about just the making of that particular scene? I think it's called like I think so. 33 frames well, or 33 right, and a half yeah. frames or something like that. Yeah, it's really, it's super interesting. And they talk about the music some in it. Um, but I just, I love, I love the music for Psycho so much. So obviously it's not completely ineffectual by itself. I mean, the, the, the mise-en-scene or whatever it is, you know, it's all there, <laughs> you know, with the chocolate syrup, blood and all that stuff going on. But it's just it's just completely, for lack of a better term, castrated without the music. It just is. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we've talked about through all these on this list, I mean, you I mean, an effective score really helps the movie out and a bad score can also ruin a movie. So yeah. I'm trying to think. If I've ever watched a movie and didn't, like, notice sound, there's almost always sound in movies. I mean, have you ever seen a movie that didn't have a score? I want to say yes. I mean, I'm sure that there is one, you know what I mean? But if I can't remember it, that, I mean, just goes to show you, I think that, you know, scores really help a movie. It keeps you focused and, you know, some background noise to listen to while you're watching. But oftentimes that background noise becomes just as much a character in the movie as the characters themselves. Sure. And there's some movies, like... um let's say Shutter Island is a good example where it uses very, very little composed music. It's all kind of found music that's kind of placed into the scenes later uh, or even thought of first in the scenes shot around them. Well, now it's my turn to say I've never seen Shutter Island. So. Oh, well, you need to see it. It's it's such an amazing... The, the first uh, track of Shutter Island is actually a track called Fog Tropes. It essentially is horns that sound like fog horns from boats and uh-huh. ships and so they're basically in the middle trying to go to the shutter island and the music you feel like it's actually those horns and it slowly kind of merges into a score and you then you kind of realize it's not the sound of boats that's the actual score for the movie and it kind of transforms and evolves into that and it's so masterfully done but it wasn't composed for the film it was used in the film just amazingly chosen well and similarly uh i wanted to put on my list somewhere uh, the shining because uh that music just scares the hell out of me if i listen to it even on its own so obviously we're talking about runners up at this point right and uh but like we were talking about just being placed in it, a lot of that music was not composed for that movie. They used pieces of music that were already composed and sort of repurposed it a little bit. Sure. Right. Um, and I just didn't quite think that it could go on to a, an original scores list like this. So yeah. um, we obviously have more things to say about scores. And I would not be surprised if we revisited this top 10 later on and had a top 10 more favorite horror scores. I think we have a lot more choices and a lot more things to say. Yeah. Like I wanted to include a lot of the 
the kind of newer kind of avant-garde scores like for the witch by mark corvin or under the skin by miko levy you know like these people have done amazing new scores that are just great to listen to honestly i really thought that was going to be on your list i was expecting to hear it out of your mouth today yeah they got edged out by the classics you know the things that came before that these are built upon you know i can't ignore those at least for the top or first top 10 well then keep those in your back pocket because we're going to do this one again sometime until then tell us what you think about our choices on the top 10 um feel free to disagree or agree with us let us know what your favorites are you can do all of that on social media you can find us at the film flamers on facebook or twitter uh you can send us an email what's our email address chris tired queens at filmflamers.com that's right. Um, also, don't forget to go on and rate, review, and subscribe to us um, where you listen to your podcasts. Uh, it goes a long way in helping us, you know, reach more listeners, and and it gives us an idea of what you like and what you don't like about the show. We are willing to make some changes here. Of course. We hope you enjoyed our content here in January. Uh, go back and listen to our episode on Rosemary's Baby if you haven't already. Um, go back and listen to some past top tens and uh, don't forget to look forward to what we have coming out soon. Uh, remind everybody what we're covering in February, Chris. Fatal Attraction. That's right. I will not be ignored, Chris. I will boil a bunny, Robert. <laughs> Bunny's good eating. Um, and we have a very special top ten, a Valentine's Day themed top ten coming to you in February. So look out for that one. Well, uh, I think that we're going to go sit down together and listen to some of these scores, and I might have to make Chris watch some of these movies that he hasn't seen. So uh, Yeah, ditto. Oh, that's right. I should never have said that. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, guys, thank you for listening, and sweet dreams. We'll leave you with some of the dulcet tones of Psycho. (laughs) Dulcet. <laughs> That's funny.
Thank you.